deliberate decision, me and my wife, around bringing them up that way. You know, it's not about having the, the newest this or the newest that, you know, the most expensive this. You know, our kids, and, and they'll tell us this, you know, the, the, the best times that they have with us are days out. Welcome to the first episode of the Founder Dad Podcast. My name is Danny Feltzman, and today I'm joined by Dave Crumpton from the United Kingdom. Dave is a father of two beautiful children and a life coach for parents dealing with mental health issues. He's had some trials and tribulations, being a businessman, a father, and a husband, and was honest and open enough to join us and share his experiences. We're happy to have him, hope you enjoy. Don't forget to subscribe and stay tuned for much more. Appreciate you taking the time, Dave. Um, We recently met online uh, on a parenting forum where I really liked the the stuff that you were posting. Um, We connected, we started chatting, um, and I love what you're working on. So um, I guess it's strange to say for our guests, which don't even exist yet because we don't even have guests. But um, let's start with like a little bit of, I mean, you told me, but like, let's start with your life story. Where'd you grow up? Where were you born? Um, and then I definitely want to transition to like, you know, how you met your wife and when you had kids and kind of the things that changed in your life and, um, how being a parent kind of affected you, but yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so hi, thank you for having me. Uh, my name's Dave. Um, I'm from a seaside town called Southport in England, in the Northwest of England. So it's sort of near Liverpool and Manchester, sort of halfway between them. Um, born and raised there, um, so I've lived here all my life, um, and I've, you know, I don't not enjoy living here. Some people grow up and they think I've just got to get out, and you know, it's the first thing they want to do. Uh, that's never really been my thing, so that's probably why I've why I've been here all this time. Um, so yeah, so that's that's where I'm from. Um, what else was it you wanted to know? Then? Did you meet your? Is your wife like a high school sweetheart? Did did, did you guys grow up in the same city? Um, so she's from Southport too. We didn't go to school together. Um, although ironically, since we got to know each other, um, you know, our paths crossed when we were younger. Um, our paths crossed when we were in our you know early twenties. Mm-hmm. Um, we got together in that when we were, I think it was about twenty five. Um, so yeah, lots of moments when we did actually cross each other, but just mm-hmm. never got together, never knew each other, never became friends that way. And the way we met was I used to do a lot of singing, a lot of gigging, play guitar, sing. Um, so I used to play all over, certainly all over Southport and the Northwest. You used to sing your um, own songs or a cover? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? I didn't know you were yeah. a musician. I see yeah. a guitar behind you and now it makes sense. Yes, there's about eight, eight or nine in this house spotted around all over the place. Um, so yeah, I've been into music since I was a kid. Since I was like five, I started playing. Um, but yeah. Have you ever tried to, because I know that's not what you do for work, but have you ever tried to make that your kind of vocation, your profession and like take that? Yeah, time? that was very much, you know, certainly in my um, teen years. Mm-hmm. Um, early 20s you know that was that was my thing that was what i wanted to do um and it never um it never materialized really um you know i I mean i I used to do it all the time 
Um, when I got with my wife and when I had kids, it kind of changed for me. Um, and because it you probably had to, you were more concerned about making money and taking care of your family. Yeah, you can yeah. bring in money. Yeah. Um, and that led then into, into my depression as well. That wasn't the key reason. But why I sort of changed and then why I stopped doing it, I fell out of love with it, really. My relationship with music changed. Um, you know, I went from the singer-songwriter, playing my own stuff, playing in, in um, venues, um, to playing covers in pubs, you know, for how, you know whoever's there. And, and not wanting to do that. Um, and then as my kids were getting older and... I mean, they're still young now. They're they're eight and eleven. Um, but when when I mean older, as in they can sit up and watch TV with you of an evening. You know, I'd be going out on a Friday night, Saturday night. Rain's coming down, wind's blowing a gale, um, and my wife's struggling up with the kids, ready to watch a movie. And I'm going out to do something that I don't really want to do. You know. Um, well, maybe you didn't want to do it because you started doing covers and you weren't doing your own music. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, maybe, I mean, it's something to talk about. Absolutely. Um, but I feel like if a person has a passion and a love and then they stop doing it, are they going again? Yeah. Their inner yeah. voice, then that's going to be like a, that, that, that's going to be a problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's interesting. Absolutely. It's definitely something to touch upon. I mean, yeah, let's, I mean. Yeah. You know. I, f okay. I fell out of love with it. Well, you fell out of love with it because you you started not being your own person. You started playing cover yeah. songs and you understood that you're just like playing for like people smoking cigarettes and being drunk at a pub as opposed yeah. to, you know, having people that appreciate your music, your songwriting, your voice and being you. Absolutely. I'm sure if you were being you and singing your own songs and doing your own thing, you wouldn't have that, you know. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, so I think we've got, I've gone off on a bit of a tangent there, but that's how I met my wife. Um, I was going into the studio to be recording a demo. Um, and I knew a couple of lads who were in another band. Um, so I needed a drummer and a bassist for the demo. Um, and I went round to the drummer's house. So I've chatted to him about it. And that's how I met my wife because she lived there at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Amazing. And then how long were you, like, did you get married immediately? How long were you dating? When did you have kids? Yeah, so we met when we were about 25. Um, not when we hit it off right away. It wasn't really that long till we moved in together. Um, we had our first child, our daughter, when we were 29, no, 27. Um, and we got married uh, a year and a half later. So, um, so do you remember the day that she was born? Do you like tell me about oh, that day? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and tell me about the. I'm actually take me a little bit earlier back. Tell me about when you found out that she was pregnant. When you were kind of prepping to have the kid, were you yeah. nervous? Were you afraid? Because everybody, you know, everybody when they becomes a, a parent the first time, yeah. I think they're probably terrified out of their minds. I know I was. Um, <laughs> so tell me about that whole experience. Like, what did you guys do? How did you prep? And how did you get yourself, if you did, into yeah. like the mindset of like I'm going to be a dad? Yeah. Um. So, so we hadn't. We hadn't planned it per se. Um, you know, we talked about having kids. My wife, um, she won't mind me saying this, but my wife has uh, endometriosis. Mm -hmm. um, so we were told by the doctor that 
you know, it could take up to four years for her to be able to get pregnant, if pregnant at all. Um, so there was always that worry that, you know, maybe this won't happen for us. Um, but anyway, we uh, luckily, very luckily, got pregnant quite quick, really. So we weren't expecting it to be that quick. Mm -hmm. We thought it was going to take a while. You know, we'll have a few years, but we got pregnant quite early on. So that was great. Um, well, that is one thing. Hold on, if I could stop you. But yeah. that is one thing to be kind of grateful and, like, be positive for, right? Because yeah. a lot of people try to get pregnant and they can't. You know, a Absolutely. lot of people try and they try and they try. And the fact that you guys did that so quickly without any yeah. issues, you know, it's a blessing. So that's definitely one yeah. thing to be grateful for, you know. Absolutely. hundred um, percent. So how did I find out? I can still remember we, we, we lived in a flat at the time. It was our first flat. Um, and she, she took me to one side and she was, she was worried that I would be upset about it or like panicky or, you know, um, but it felt like, you know, the most natural thing in the world for me. It wasn't, you know, it could have been a shock because, as I say, we weren't like, let's let's start now. Um, but, yeah, she told me and I was just, you know, excited, giddy, mm. kid. Um, so that sort of immediate fear or any of that didn't happen for me, really. Um, I was just like, are you sure? You know, is this for real? Um so, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's like the reaction that should be. And that's probably the reaction that like every girl is afraid of hearing like the opposite, but so happy yeah. when she hears like, yes, it's like a yeah. guy when you're trying to propose to a girl, right? If you want to, <laughs> you have this thing like, ah, she could say no. Yeah. So Absolutely. like you're being, you're being so vulnerable, the same thing. She came to you so vulnerable. She's yeah. like, oh. the fact that you were happy about it probably made her. Yeah, you know, if not more. Yeah, absolutely. You just reminded me there, actually, from when I did propose to her. The first thing she said to me was, "Are you joking?" <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say, "What took you so long?" Yeah, no, no, no. She thought I was joking. I was kneeled down in a muddy puddle in Scotland, but yeah. Um, but anyway, sorry. Well, uh, Scotland sounds beautiful. Muddy puddle sounds romantic. Yeah. <laughs> Do you want to hear that story? Sure. Yeah. We go for that. Um, yeah, so we were we were up in Scotland. We'd already had our first child at this point. Um, my dad lived in Scotland. Um, when he and my mum split up, uh, he, he, he stayed in Scotland. Um, so we were up staying with him. And I'd, I'd told him about it. I'd, I'd asked my wife's dad for permission, and he was all okay with it. Um, but I knew my wife would want to pick the ring herself. So I didn't have a ring, so I bought a, a joke shop ring, you know, quite a big one with a big diamond on it, you know, a fake plastic diamond on it. And I had that in my pocket. Um, so I was planning to do it on the first day we were there. Uh, have you heard of Linda's Farm? Nope. No, it's like, a, it's like an old monastery that's on this island that you can only get to when the tide's out. Oh, wow. Up in, the, in the top north of England. Um, so we went, we went there, we spent the day there. And uh, she had a cob on all day. Um, so in England, she was moody. She was ratty. She was in a mood all day. And I thought to myself, I'm not, I'm not proposing like this. You know, I couldn't do it. I couldn't do right for doing wrong that day. Um, but I had this bruise on me in me on my leg because I was carrying this ring round with me all day, and it was digging in my pocket. Um, but yeah, so I didn't actually propose that day. I did it the following day. Um, 
we were up in Edinburgh by the the Firth or Fourth Bridge. So there's like quite a famous bridge that goes across from Edinburgh. Um, and uh, so I gave my daughter to my dad and we went off and, and, and I went for a little walk down to the front with my wife and proposed there in the in the rain and the muddy puddle. And yeah, I gave this whole spiel, nice and romantic, and she's just laughing at me saying, are you joking? <laughs> I mean, but, bro, you're, you're a genuine... I mean, I'm not saying this is like a bad thing because it's actually yeah. a good thing, especially in our day and age when it's not, you know, cool. But like, you're that's genuinely romantic. You know what I mean? That's oh, awesome. Yeah. yeah. Respect. Cool. It was she, quite said, funny, yeah. she did say, yeah. That's yeah. good. But all the family were, were expecting us to phone them on the day before, you see, because they were expecting me to propose that first day. So everyone's on pins waiting to see if she said yes or not. And I had to tell them all I hadn't proposed to her because she was in a mood with me all day. <laughs> so you never had, okay, well, I want to, yeah. all right. When you became a dad, like did anything, because like people say like, all right, the day I became a father, like my life changed. Yeah. My, like my history, I never got that. Like when I saw mm -hmm. my kid and I, I tell this story a lot, like I just held him and I was like, you know, like, uh, you know, it's only from my experience, like the responsibility of being a parent, the realization that I am a dad came with time. Plus, yeah. you see the kid more, you get attached, you understand, like, wow, this thing is actually, like, alive and it's, yeah. you know, flesh and blood. Um, when did, like, what sort of realizations happened in the beginning? How was that entire, like, the first, you know, the first couple months, the first couple weeks, the first yeah. year? Like, what was going on in your head and how, how, um, how did you guys manage it? Yeah, the, the sort of the immediate moment, um, it didn't happen for me there just because it was so stressful, you know. Um, the birth wasn't exactly uh, straightforward. Um, you know, we, we the, my daughter had the cord wrapped around the neck and she couldn't get her out. And then the doctor had to come in and there was just all sorts. So it was mayhem, really. And it had been such a long time and um, everyone was tired and whatnot. So there wasn't really, other than the immediate feelings of joy and whatnot at the start, it was, you know, the first realisation for me was when we left the hospital the following day um you know all of a sudden it was like there's your baby and it was oh, we're on our own now Who, you know who's going to change the nappy the nurse has been doing this in the hospital you know the nurse has been clothing doing the nappies making sure the feeding's okay and all of a sudden we walk out that ward with the baby in the carrier and that's all on us now mm-hmm um, so that was quite a, a realization point as well, um, and just how the immediate sort of sense of um, importance of being the one that uh, this this baby is totally reliant on you now, to the point of when we were driving home, I remember you putting the, putting her in the back of the car, putting all the seatbelt on the the chair and all that. And I must have drove home no faster than 15 mile an hour the whole way home. <laughs> uh, you know, every sort of bump and every little curb and every turn, it was so gentle in the car. A big queue of cars behind us because we're going so slow, um, which now you look back on and that sounds quite bizarre, but it was that immediate sense of how um, precious um, the, the baby is and you're the one that's responsible for it now. That really sort of hit me, mm -hmm. leaving the hospital and coming home that day. Um, <clears throat> the other main sort of realisation for me was around um, my life wasn't about me anymore. 
Um, and that's certainly something that I have developed my thinking around um, when I had my issues with mental health. Um, because you do have to make time for yourself. It isn't all about the child. Mm-hmm. Um, but that I very much went into that view that, you know, uh, up until that point, I could do what I want, go where I want, when I want. Um, I mean, I obviously, I had my my wife, who was who was my partner at the time. We weren't married at the time. Um, but all of a sudden, I wasn't the most important person in my life. Um, or, I mean, hmm. from my experience, like, I understood how important my existence is because I started thinking about, all right, if I'm gone, if I don't take care of my body, if I don't take care of myself, if I'm gone tomorrow, I'm going to leave this little guy in a yeah. world that's becoming more and more complicated and crazy. So, you know, me, I became a lot more conscious of, like, my diet, my habits, what I'm doing, uh-huh. like, am I going out, am I eating right, am I partying too much, like... What and I started thinking about my own health and my own longevity, you know, because I want to be around as much as possible. Um, yeah. But yeah, when you're not only responsible for yourself, it, it gives you meaning. You know what I mean? I mean, a lot of, yeah. for me, it, for me, it gave my life meaning. Like I was just kind of aimlessly going about doing my own thing, kind of never really yeah. asked myself what I want to do. And um, when I had my kid, I was like, all right, well, this is like the purpose, right? Yeah. You know. So, yeah. Okay. Um, and what's your name? What What's your daughter's name? Uh, Ophelia. Ophelia. Good name. Yeah. Okay. Um, we got that. It was um, it was from a film, Pan's Labyrinth. Don't know yeah. If you've heard of that. Yeah. The little. So Ophelia is a Shakespearean name, I think, which is spelt with a P and an H. Yeah. Um, but in the Pan's Labyrinth, there's a little girl called Ophelia in it, and it's spelt with an F, which is the Spanish way, apparently. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah that's where we got the name from okay mm. so did you guys read any parenting books like how was that first year and kind of how was i mean what moments stand out during that like first year or first couple years of life when you were like just like wow this is so cool this is so amazing yeah um for me it was a, a conflict between the two i was so happy and you know the the joy you feel, the you know unconditional love. Um, you know, I, I, I still remember now. It was I think it was the midwife when they come out to the house and they, they give you all this advice. And I got this from the books as well, saying you know you sleep when they sleep because you're going to be so tired that if they go to sleep, you go to sleep. But I couldn't do that because when she fell asleep in my arms, all I wanted to do was just sit there and look at her. Mm. You know. Uh, my wife would come over and try to take her and say, come on, you go and get yourself to bed. And I'd be like, nah, <laughs> you know? Um, so, you know, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. Um, and I didn't have any issues with um, that becoming the priority for me, you know, around, you know, going out and seeing your friends and wanting to do other things. I didn't have that. You know, I wanted to be there. Um, mm. Wow. Um, but that brought with it this conflict around as well, this huge pressure that I almost put myself on to be the best dad, you know, the best thing that this child could have to be the best provider. Um, so that, you know, I, I did put myself under a lot of pressure as well. Mm-hmm. So talk about that. So, you know, I mean, 
you know, you want to be the best dad that you can be. But what does that mean? What does it mean to be a good dad? You know? Yeah. Um, so to be there for them, um, to provide for them. Um, Which you did. You were there. Yeah. You provided. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. To give them the best life you can give them. Um, but that that in itself um, immediately took on a new role, especially with my working life. Because mm -hmm. all of a sudden, you know, uh, we were going to get a house. We, we had a mortgage we were trying to get. Um, I started taking my work life more seriously. Mm -hmm. around, uh, going for promotions, um, which came with the stress. But the more promotions, the more money I could get, which means I could get, you know, provide more for my family. Um, but that took me away from the family because mm -hmm. I was working more. You know, new roles meant I would work, early, you know, get in earlier, finish later, um, have to work away quite a bit. Um, and that's that balancing act between the two, really, in wanting to be there, but also wanting to provide and be the best dad I can be in that, from that sense. The reason why I asked, like, what's the definition of a best dad is because I'm realizing, like, with my own kid is that, like, we have... We understand what money is. We, we, we know what a yeah. nice house is. We've seen all the videos. We know what a yacht, a private plane, and all that stuff. But kids have no idea. Like, kids, no. their, their understanding or conceptualization of the world is basically, like, your apartment and, like, this house. Like, they don't even understand, like, yeah. the neighborhood, you know? So, for them, like, we might think that we need to do a lot where, in the you know, what's more important is maybe less, like, the material things, but more, like, being present having like a good example of a relationship between a husband and a wife, the tone of voice when you talk to them, the amount of attention, just the fact that you're helping them discover the world together. Like some, I guess I'm saying this to kind of, you know, for like, I guess other parents that are going through this, like not to put too much pressure on yourself because yes, yeah. obviously you want to have a roof above your head and you want to have like food on your plate. Um, but, you know, kids need, like it's a lot more simple than we think, you know what I mean? In the yeah. beginning. It's nice to take vacations and you can go to the Maldives or you can go to like, you know, parks and buy them clowns yeah. and do all that stuff. But, you know, uh, they need for you to be there. They need the attention. You know what I mean? I think yeah. more than anything. Um, but I understand the pressure that you put on yourself because you're automatically like, all right, you know, are we going to be living in a nice house? Are we going to be able to go on vacations? Like what sort of life do I want to provide? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and that's that's very much the parenting. You know, we made a de deliberate decision, me and my wife, around bringing them up that way. You know, it's not about having the the newest this or the newest that. You know, the most expensive this. You know, our kids, and, and they'll tell us this. You know, the 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 best times that they have with us are days out. You know, we go for walks. Um, you know, up this hill or go there. Um, when we were, when the kids were younger, we were really lucky that we had a friend of ours that had a caravan, you know, a static caravan um, in the Lake District in, in England. Um, and, you know, people go, oh, caravan holidays, you know, but we loved it. And the kids absolutely loved it. It was a beautiful surroundings. They still talk about it now. Um, unfortunately, our friends had to get rid of the caravan. So we, you know, we, we went there for a good four or five years. Uh, and they want to go back. That's the kind of holiday they want to go on. They want to stay in a caravan in the middle of a woods somewhere. Yeah, it's adventure, man. That's what we're built yeah. for. Like, yeah, I mean, you know, we live in cities and we live in like huge metropolises, but we're built yeah. for adventure. We're built for the wild. Like, that's what we've been doing for yeah. millennia, you know? It's in Absolutely. our blood.
and to do that with your parents i mean that's like the coolest thing you know i know yeah. plenty of people i know plenty I, I i ask a lot of people i'm like what are your you know i could even ask you like what are the things that stand out from your childhood the most and a lot of people say it's like oh it's those it's when we went camping yeah. it's when we went fishing you know it's the time yeah. that you spend it's the time that you spend discovering the world together with the parents that keep you safe and like give you the ability to actually go out and do those things you know yeah you're right 100% right they don't remember the things that you bought them they remember the time that you spend with them um, yeah and and that goes for the same as being in the house you know for me uh, with me working uh, the bedtime and bath time routine when the kids were young that was my time with them because mm. I've not seen them all day I've gone out early and I've not seen them all day so you know, that was my time with them. Bath time, you know, we loved it. Um, bedtime routine. We always had a thing that we did, you know, getting them out of the bath. I used to spin them around. And, you know, they didn't want to get out of the bath until it was their turn of doing that. You know, yeah. to the point where my daughter was getting so big. I was like, I can't do this for much longer because she's so big, you know, in, in the in the bathroom. And, you know, we, we read... Um, we read storybooks every night. We'd read a book before they went to bed. Mm -hmm. um, without fail that was part of the bedtime routine and they love that um, and you know they, they still enjoy reading now you know there's something that they enjoy doing is reading books yes they love the computers and yes they love watching TV and whatnot. but those fond memories that they have of doing that with us all as a family mm -hmm. you know taken into their lives as they've got a bit older as well well, I mean, it sounded like, I mean, it sounded like, you know, what, what you're doing and you're kind of your head's in the right place and you instilled those kind of family values in that time from the start, you know? Yeah. Um, were yeah. there any, were, were there any difficulties or challenges? I mean, especially when you have your second kid, how's the relationship between your second son, your second child is a boy or a girl? Well. Yeah, a boy. Yeah. So when you're, when Ophelia found out that she's having a brother, how was she with that? And how was the kind of that whole thing? Did she help out? Yeah, yeah, she loved it. She's uh, she was quite the sort of the the mothering type, if you like. You know, she looks after a little brother, mm -hmm. um, and then as as that relationship developed, you know, um, she, she was uh, not bossy, but you know, she was the one in charge, and she would get him to do, you know, um, whatever she wanted, really. Mm -hmm. um, but they've always got on; they still get on now. I mean, yeah, they have their arguments and whatnot um as as all kids do um but yeah their the relationship's fantastic we we did notice there was a there was a change from when my son got old enough to not do what he was told by her all the time and he started to think for himself mm -hmm. uh, so there was a bit of a dynamic change there um uh, between the two of them and um, when it was a case of hang on a second i'm not doing what you're telling me to do every time uh, but they got through that you know um and they're very, they're, they're two very different kids, but they seem to bounce off each other, which is great. And um, your relationship with them is good, right? Like you've never had, yeah. Any, like, yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. It's uh, it's always it's always been great, but that something we've you know we've tried to instill in them from from the start really is the respect kind of thing. You know, once you start shouting at each other or you start doing things not not nice to each other, you know they will get pulled up on it but we won't shout at them we'll have a discussion yeah we'll have a discussion around how it would make them feel if it was the other way around um um you know 
even though they're acting in the emotion at the time and it, it's not how they genuinely feel about each other but how do they want to act towards each other now that the emotion's gone mm. uh, smart yeah um and it, it's so we've always gone down that route rather than shouting you know there's times when you you do get a bit angry or whatnot but you know um me and my wife have a great relationship well, that's the most important is that's going to be the model. If they see yeah. you and your wife shouting at each other, then you're not going to be able to tell them not to shout at each other because you're hypocritical. Exactly. Like exactly. kids, you know, kids videotape and remember and they keep track of everything that you do and say verbal, nonverbal, all the little mimics. And, you know, you can't say don't smoke cigarettes while you're smoking a pack. Right? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so then so then when when did things start for you to get like challenging? Like because, you, you know, you obviously you know, your life changed because of your battles with mental health. And now the work that you're doing is tied around that. So I'm curious how, I mean, to me, it sounds like other than, and this is probably the start of it, but like other than the pressure that you put on yourself, you know, there, I don't see, you know, what, yeah. just stimulus for, you know, yeah. things to go to things to get difficult. or sap, yeah. you know. um, So you're right with me and my mental health issues. One of the main issues for me was that I didn't have a, um, a marriage breakup, a uh, job loss, uh, you know, a, a lost child. You know, I didn't have one of those. Um, but that that caused me to not deal with it, to think that, that this is normal, these thought processes I'm having are normal, um, these feelings I'm having are normal because there's other people worse off than me. Mm -hmm. So I'll just get on with it. Um, and I was your typical man, bloke, as we say here, in a sense of, you know, I just get on with it. I don't talk about my feelings. I don't get upset. Um, certainly don't talk to my wife about it. I just get on with it. Really? Uh, yeah. Okay. You know, so I, so whenever you would kind of have these doubts and these kind of things creep into your mind, you couldn't even talk to like friends about it. You couldn't talk to your wife about it. You couldn't talk to your parents about it. No. Yeah, that's rough, man. That's yeah. tough. Um, and, and some of that was around being a parent as well, because some of that was... Um, you know, I'm supposed to be the pillar in the family. I'm the man. I'm supposed to be the one holding it all together. The 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 pillar of strength that the children can look up to. Yeah. You know, but if anyone started to get an inkling that I've not got it all together and I'm actually upset about something, or you know, I think I think the opposite. I think you could yeah. say like, listen, part of being a pillar and part of being a man is being able to handle when the wind is trying to shake you or when there's an earthquake. Right. Because yeah. if you're always firm and there's an earthquake, then you're going to crumble. So you have to be able to be yeah. flexible. And maybe I mean, there's something to be like, I've cried in front of my son before. You know what yeah. I mean? I've told him when I'm wrong, like I show him like this is, you know, it's good to be emotional. It's good to be in touch with like the side of yourself because you're not always going to be able to keep it together or you're going to think that you need to keep it together. And then you're going to break down one time and it's going to be really bad because years and years of this pent up stuff is just going to come to the surface. Like, Absolutely. why? Absolutely. Why hasn't there been anybody to talk to? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you see you see more of that. It's very common for, for men to be like that, especially um, around, you know, like the term man up and, and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, but my first, um, my first experience, which I didn't realize what it was at the time, was actually before my first child was born. Um, I had a panic attack. Um, which, as I say, I didn't realize, didn't know what it was. 
Um, at the time, the ambulance got called. Um, I ended up in hospital. Um, so what is that? Like, how did that feel like? Walk me through it. I'm curious. Um, can't breathe, tight chest. Um, the My heart was pounding and thumping. I've got pains in my chest. You feel like you're having a heart attack. Do you remember what uh, triggered it? Uh, no. No, I was just having a Sunday roast at the Good time. Thing. It just happened. I remember starting getting funny feelings in my chest and then the tightness and then I couldn't breathe. Um, and I ended up passing out. Uh, woke mm -hmm. up in the ambulance with all the things in my arms, you know. Um, but no one knew what it was. They, you know, they did all the tests, ran all the tests, and, and that was it. And then I remember further down the line, um, when I was talking about this someone, um, they were saying, well, what was I going through at the time? Um, and I was going for a promotion at work, which was... I really needed to get money wise because I had this whole pressure of got a baby on the way. We need to get more money. I need to buy this and provide, et cetera, et cetera. So I was going for a promotion. At the same time, we were buying our first house. Um, and this was back in 2007 uh, when the credit crunch was at its peak. So, you know, we, we had a mortgage. We were about to sign on the house. Then the mortgage got pulled because the bank uh, almost collapsed. Um, so all the mither and stress that was going through with that. Um, plus I had a baby on the way as well. So if you're you know if you looking at the top 10 stressors in line. That's it. You know, yeah, you're in there. Hit. You're there, yeah. Straight away. And I but, wasn't talking to anyone about this. So you know? I'm quite like, I mean, I'm curious. Like, I don't know how your relationship with this, your, your, your parents, because we didn't talk about that. But like, you know, you don't have friends that also had kids that you could just be like, fucking go and get a goddamn pint and fucking be like, yo, I'm stressing. I'm bugging out. Yeah. Friends, best friends. No, no. I mean, I've got <laughs> friends. I've got best friends. But yeah, it's just really it's just not what we do. Yeah. Interesting. Um... See, that's like it's I, I'm asking because for me, that's like I'm my background is Russian. Right. I was born in Russia and like. Okay. Russian like culture, like all we do is talk and all we do is talk about existential like problems because yeah. people that's all people knew. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Like all people had was each other and you would sit at the kitchen, you'd drink or you'd not drink and you'd be like, fucking life is difficult. This sucks. Yeah. Look at the weather. I haven't seen the sun in two months. <laughs> like, you know, I lost my cow or whatever it is, you know, so yeah. there's a culture of like openness and, um, mm -hmm. you know, kind of like deep emotional conversations that we're all. And that's all we do. Sometimes it's like, yeah. oh God, I don't, I don't want to hear about your problems because all people do is talk about their problems. Yeah. Um. So it's interesting that like coming from your kind of that yeah. background, that that context where that wasn't something that people talked about. Interesting. Yeah. No, it's it's definitely getting better now. Um. I mean, as as in general, um, for me, it's fantastic. You know, I'm I'm very open now about everything that's going on with me. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm very close to my one of my brothers. Um, one of my best friends, um, my wife, my mum, you know, I talk all the time about how I feel and what's going on with me now. And that's brought us closer together. Mm -hmm. It's made those relationships a hell of a lot better. But back in the day, that's just not what those relationships were. You know, you didn't talk about that sort of stuff. So bring me back. So, so bring me back to the back in the day. Like, do you remember exactly like when, when were you at your, I mean, just to, I mean, I hate to go straight into it, but like, why not? Right. Like what, what was like the lowest point? Like, and what, what brought you there? Was it, 
the pressure? Was it something happened or kind of, your, uh, the, the, it's called the dark night of the soul, right? It's where everybody, yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, I've had, you know, suicidal thoughts when I was younger and I've, you know, you know, we all go through doubts and mm. dark times when you're just like, what am I doing? Like, I'm either yeah. really, really smart or I'm really, really stupid. And um, <laughs> so what was it for you? Um, so as I say, I didn't have that one thing I could put my finger on to say, this is, this is what it is. Therefore, I deserve to feel this way because there's something bad that's happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so as these feelings grew, I would just push them down and just get on with things. Um, so it got, for me, it got to a point where it just, I just couldn't go on anymore. Um, you know, I would turn up to work. Um, I'd get out of the car, start the short walk into work down the street, and I'd start crying. Um, you know, I'm not, as I say, I was your typical bloke. I don't talk about my feelings. I don't really show emotion apart from when my football team is winning. Um, you know, and, and that's just not what I did. So for me to just start crying all of a sudden for no reason um, was quite bizarre. Is it because um, you weren't? Is it because you weren't satisfied at your job? You felt like you were meant for something bigger. Was it the routine? Um, yeah, it's it was a whole host of things. I mean, I had to go through counselling to find out what it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was conflicts and needs and values and things not being met. Um, so. So, for example, you know, my my day job is working in an office. But if I was to tell you what my passions were, they are music, they are art. You know, I'm creative. I'm a creative person. And, you know, that that used to be, um, that need was met by the fact that I used to gig. I used to be in bands. I used to play. I used to rap. I used to paint. I used to, you know, carve wood. I used to do all that. But as I started to get into my depression and losing the passion for those things, I stopped doing them. And then it gets uh, worse and it gets worse and it gets worse because you get deeper yeah. into a hole and you move further away from the person that you are and the person yeah. that you want to be. Yeah, right. uh, exactly. Uh, another classic conflict I had was around parenthood. You know, I had this vision of this parent that I wanted to be. Mm-hmm. I wanted be there i wanted to be at the school plays i wanted to be at the christmas nativity um you know i wanted to be there for the after after school clubs um i wanted to be there in the morning i wanted to be there in the evenings but for me to provide for my kids and to further my career to be able to get more money to because yeah i'm thinking it's just about the money i've got to get money to be able to provide for them so like you said before we can go on the holidays we can have the nice house we can have the nice car. So I'm trying to be a good dad, but that's t- taking me away because it means that I'm missing all the things that I want to be there for. So therefore, mm-hmm. I'm a bad dad. What is a good dad? What is a bad dad? You know? Well, I mean, like, just hearing you, like, first of all, I want to give you, like, a lot of credit because, I mean, not a lot of people have that approach. You know what I mean? A lot of people don't put yeah. family first. Not a lot of parents, not a lot of fathers genuinely want to literally spend 24 seven with their kids. You know what yeah. I mean? So like, you know, good, like kudos to you for like having that top of mind. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, bro, it's unfortunately there's always a sacrifice and you can't always get what you want mm -hmm. at the time, you know? Yeah. Um, one thing, I mean, look, just to kind of like, I'm away from my kid right now. I haven't seen my son since February. We're now in the middle of June, you know, right. for me, I love my kid more than anything in the world. Yeah. But you know, I'm okay with the fact that I'm not around because I know like, all right, this is a sacrifice that I'm like making now. This is the work that I'm putting in now. This is the yeah. life that I chose. And these are the decisions that I made in order to be able to live the life that I want to live with my son later. So yeah. for me, like, it's always like, you know, if, if you were talking to somebody, if you had a friend during that time where you could say, look, you know, Dave, like, it's all good. Like, I know you want to be at home with your family, but like, this is what you got to do. And it's all good. Cause you see them anyway, it could be worse. You could be divorced. They could be living in a different country. Like, you know, put in the time now, keep grinding it out, bang it out. And then later when you are older, then you're going to be able to spend more time with them together. You know, like, yeah. it's, I mean, sometimes just that understanding and that little, you know, like mm -hmm. bit of advice could make it easier. makes it more bearable, you know? Hundred percent. You know, the advice I would give to a parent in my situation that I was in, you know, the thing I've learned from it is um, it's it's a very subtle thing, but it's a mindset shift. So my mindset had changed from I have to do this rather than I want to do it, and this is something that I use in parenting with my kids now. Um, so what I mean by that is let's say the working the long hours or the having to be away on working away for a couple of days in a week that became, Oh, I've got to go away again. You know, I've got to tell my kids, Oh, I've got to go away again rather than it being, I want this job so that I can provide for my kids. So actually I want to do this to provide. There's a huge difference between yeah. have to, and I want to, even better than want, you could take it a step further. Yeah. You could level up and say, I choose to do this. Yeah, exactly. Because it is a choice. And I'm choosing it because yeah. I want to have this and I want to do this. But it is your choice because yeah. then it's, you know. And then you actually give them the understanding that, like, everything is a choice. You're always choosing, yeah. right? And it has to exactly. be a conscious choice. Like, oh, my, you don't have to go to work. You don't have to. Nobody's mm -hmm. forcing you. Don't go. You choose to go. And if you choose to go, then it's a question of what mindset do you take when you are making that decision, right? Exactly. Mindset. Yeah. And and that's huge when it comes to depression. Um, because people that suffer with depression, one of the one of the huge feelings you have is a loss of control. Mm -hmm. like everything is happening to you. You've got no control of it. Everything is being done to you. And that's true of that mindset shift that we were talking about just then. You know, I have to do this. I'm having to go and work away. It's being done to me. I'm not choosing to do it. And that creates a constant negative connotation with what you're doing day in, day out. Whereas if you can have that mind shift, like you said there, to I'm choosing to do this because I want to provide the best I can, then I'm choosing to do it and I want to do it. So it's positive. It and when you say, not... yeah, go on. It might not. I was going to say it might not be um, the. You might not necessarily be enjoying it, but what you are saying to yourself, and this is a life lesson, life lesson for your kids, is to get something that we want. Sometimes we have to do things that we might not necessarily want to do. We have to work, you know, um, and we have to put that time in to enjoy the outcome. Yep. 
Well, and if you are going to be putting in the time, even if you don't want to do it, just switch your mindset and be like, all right, this is going to be great. I'm going to make the most out of it. Yeah, um, exactly. But like, I think there's something also like NLP psychosomatic. When you say like, I choose to do something, then you're the one taking responsibility yourself. Right. And yeah. that's the most important. Like, yeah. Like if, if there's another important thing that we want to teach kids, it's like you are responsible, you choose. Right. And the more yeah. responsibility you can, you know, because then you're not going to be blaming on other people's circumstances, anything else for, you know, the situation, you know? Yeah. And to pull out a classic example, how I've used that with my kids was around setting the dinner table. You know, mm -hmm. you ask the kids to set the dinner table, it's groans and, oh, do I have to? I don't want to do that. Guys, is it my turn to do it? It's my brother's turn or it's my sister's turn. Um, and, you know, the way we've used that, that mindset shift for that is, you know, if we don't, if you don't set the table, you won't get to eat. Now you do want to eat. We're going to have ice cream for dessert. You know, we've got your, your whatever we're going to be having for the meal. You're hungry. So that's what you want. So to enable you to get that, you have to set the table. You can't eat it with your hands. So it's your choice. You can either not set the table and we won't have tea or, or dinner, or you can set the table and we can have it. What do you want to do? Or there's a lot of things, I mean, not or, but in addition to that, but there's a lot of things that we take for granted in our everyday life, like having dinner or breakfast or yeah. lunch. So if you turn this into like, wow, how cool is it? How amazing is it that we're all together and we can actually like set a table and have dinner? How awesome is that? Like we should be grateful and we should be literally like singing songs like Beauty and the Beast, like set the goddamn fucking table and like yeah. be happy about it. Like, you know, like we don't, I think there's something, there's definitely something to be said for gratitude. Like we take a lot of things for granted. Mm. And if you don't, like you could not be having this home. You could not be having this meal. You could be on yeah. the street. I mean, like, I don't, you know, there's a lot. Of, the point is not to scare them, but the point is to be like, you know, like this is amazing. This is so cool. How awesome yeah. is that we're all together and we're going to have a fantastic meal. Yeah. Set the fucking table. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. All right. Indeed. So, all right. So then tell me like what, you know, so you got into some like serious depression. Um, mm. How, all right. So how was that dealing with that? And like, also, cause I know how much you love your kids and I guess I'm starting to understand like how difficult it is because you're waking up and you're seeing them and then you're unhappy with yourself, but you can't talk to anybody around it. Right. So yeah. like, what the hell, like what was going on in your mind? How did, how, how did you get through that? Like, um, yeah, it was, you know, it was it was hard. Yeah. I think to answer that question, I'm going to have to go into the, um, the the sort of you know the 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 catalyst for me to get in help um, and sort of change was around the suicidal episodes, really. Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, with with regards to when I was getting to that point, the stuff at home and me being a parent and being around the kids, that had kind of just gone. You know, I was I would get home, sit on the couch, the telly would go on, and I'd be looking at the telly, but I wouldn't be watching it, you know, and the kids would be climbing over me here, there and everywhere. And you know, life life happens around me, if that makes sense. Um I often try to describe it by you know, when you're watching a film or a TV program and they speed it up, but the main characters just sat there still not moving. Yeah. That was what it was like, you know, and I was missing out on so much. 
um, because it was just a constant. I was just sat there and the world went on around me. Well, I think your mind was somewhere else. You were you were thinking about or occupied about mm. some other thought, right? You weren't present yeah. in the moment because something else took your mind over. What was that thought? Were you just thinking like, damn, I'm not good enough. I'm not making enough money. Were you thinking about all the things that you don't have or all the things that you're not like good enough or not worthy enough? Like what was what was occupying your mind during that time? Um, yeah, it was. There was the feelings of, um, and it wasn't even self-doubt really. It wasn't, oh, I'm doubting myself. You know, I was I was a shit dad. I was a shit husband. Um, yeah, but you weren't. Well, yeah. <laughs> I know. Um, but, you know, and I was bad at that. So uh, that hurt because I wanted to be such a good parent and such a good husband. And I didn't believe I was. The pain that came with that, but was the you know this was the exact opposite of what I wanted to be. I know, but like, doesn't I mean, God, Dave? I wish I was. I wish we were friends and I lived in your town because I would be like, bro, you have kids running all over you. You're not a bad dad. Yeah. Like, you're. It's like, yeah. you know, happiness is expectations minus reality. Maybe you put like some crazy, really like, you know, difficult expectations on yourself, and therefore, you think that like something is wrong, but. I mean, judging from what you said, I mean, if you're sitting on your couch and you have kids jumping all over you, that's already a sign that you're not a bad dad and shit's not that bad, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, you can't see that when you're in it. Yep. That's the thing. You can't see it when you're in it. Yeah. Um, and it got to a point where, like, you literally tell me about, I mean, if, if you don't mind going into it, because I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated by how the mind yeah. works, your mind, but you know, was there really a point where you're like, oh, it's better for me not to be here? Like, they'll be yeah. better off without me? Really? You really thought uh, that? So, um, so, so it gets to a point where getting up in the morning is painful because you know what's going to happen, as in you're going to have all these feelings, all these thoughts, all this internal pain, anguish. It's horrible. And you know that's going to happen again today. And it happened yesterday and it happened the day before. And it, you know, so just getting up and um, just functioning hurts. Well, because of the uh, routine, because it's a routine that you couldn't break. Yeah. Yeah. It's just groundhog, groundhog day. Groundhog day. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, the, the suicide stuff, where that comes in, and I and I learned this, and I truly believe this now through um, the counselling that I went through, is that you don't you don't want to die. Um, you just want the pain to stop. You want that situation to stop. Yep, you want to change. And, yeah, you want it and, to change, and you don't know how to change it. No, and it's not necessarily that you don't know how to do it. It's that that's the only option that you've got. Because life is so shit. I can't, oh, let's snap out of it and I'll go and do this with my job. Or, oh, I'll, I'll snap out of it and I'll, I'll start being like this with my family. That whole world is pain and suffering. Well, There's no way back in that world. Um, okay. So, so, yeah, it's not that you want to die. It's just that you want the pain to stop and you, there's only one route. Your mind, the depression tells you that's the way to do it well you think that there's only one route right yeah because there wasn't anybody to tell you like hey you could start by mm. making a small little change 
Yeah. Play your guitar for 10 minutes a day. Yeah. Go for a run. Do some yeah. push-ups when you wake up. Just change your routine. Change the micro routines. Absolutely. That's all you got to do. Yeah. Um, and, and the depression, uh, I describe it as it's like a warm cuddle around you saying, you know, this is this is the way to make it all feel better. Mm-hmm. Were, you, were you drinking? Like, wait, 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 were you drinking or doing drugs like yeah. at this time to kind yeah. of like numb everything? Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much drinking every night. Um, not to a point where it was affecting my work. You know, I was able to still work and function. Well, was it affecting your relationship with your kids and your family? Yeah, because all I would do that, you know, I'd just come home and that was it. Come from the couch. And as I say, the world, the world happens around you. Um, hmm. And, and you know, that going back to that arm around you, and the, the, the suicide becomes as a comfort blanket. Um, and that's the way your mind thinks, or certainly that mine did, that, you know, it doesn't matter how bad things get, actually, you've always got that. That's always the thing that will make it better. So it's comforting to have that there. Well, it won't make it better. It'll just make it stop. And that's Which... better for you when you're in it. Yeah. You know, the best thing is for you to stop feeling like that. But can I ask you a question? But like, I mean, you said you'd yeah. come home and flop on the couch and your kids would be around you. Like you weren't, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to sound like a dickhead, but like you weren't interested in playing with the kids or like figuring out how their day was or like doing something yeah. with them, like build a fort, go outside, go for a walk, play a Lego, break yeah. something, teach them music, play some music with them. Really? No, you have no passion, no drive, no anything. Ah, okay. For yourself, for other people, for anything. And how long was that lasting? Like, how long was that this like time frame where you were um, in this funk? It was, it was, you know, building up. I mean, going through therapy and whatnot. It's it's stuff going back years and years and years. But this this bad time was probably two to three years, I'd say. That's tough. Um, gradually getting worse. Um, okay. You know, it wasn't like that all the time. Um, but, you know, you start looking back now, you start to see when I stopped playing guitar, stop singing, stop doing this, stop doing that. Um, and you can look back at it and go, oh, yeah, that's what it is. That's All right. So then. Was. So what changed? What kind of made you snap or um, no, snap out of it? Um, yeah. Well, the, the main. The, the, so. My first suicidal episode um, was on a train station. I was working in Liverpool for the day um, and I was coming home and I just, you know, you'd, you'd thought about doing it, how you'd do it and all this. And it, it, I was just so, couldn't cope anymore, you know, and the train was coming in and it was, um, you know, if, if I did step out, then all this pain stops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know it was horrendous you know the trains it was on the underground so you could see the light coming down the tunnel mm-hmm. it was you know were you alone I? yeah solo yeah okay yeah. and it goes from that thought of you know oh you know what what would it feel like if i did it would it be you know and all these suicidal thoughts to actually am i doing this now um, and what were you thinking? What happened? Yeah, you know, the 
the the the feeling of release that it would give me was like oh all this could stop but the thing that pulled me back from it was my wife and kids um you know not seeing them again hurting them you know um doing that to them um you know people that say suicide is the easy way out um uh, people not say for them. that not for them yeah, not for the ones that you leave behind you know, you're not, it's not selfish because you're not thinking about you. You're thinking about others. Um, and it's, you know, it is hard to do it, you know, in a, in a strange way. Courage isn't the right word, but it takes guts to do it. Of course. So it ain't easy. <laughs> but if you're concerned, um, but if the concern is your family, you're not going to leave them in a better situation. Because it's always better to have yeah. it's always better to have you, and then they're going to be left with picking up the pieces, wondering if they did something wrong, and for the rest of their lives, they're going to be living with that. Like, wow, why didn't I tell my dad I love him? Why didn't your wife come up and be like, hey, what's wrong? You know what I mean? So you yeah. leave, you leave, your pain is gone, but you give them a whole yeah. like, boom, yeah. that cloud and that doubt. Yeah, yeah, you pass so the pain on. And so I went home that day um, and I was in bits, you know, I got on the train and it was just, it was horrendous. Um, and my wife came home from work and I just grabbed her, hugged her and started crying. Um, so I didn't tell her what had happened. I didn't tell her that all these thoughts that were going on at this stage, she was just, so she knew something was going on with me, but I still didn't tell her what was going on even at that stage. Um, she didn't say like what's wrong and you were just you didn't want to tell her yeah. no hmm. no um, so the next major stage was I was in work and I was getting quite agitated in the office um, and my boss saw this um, and she said come on Dave let's take you out of the office where everyone was and took me to a private room um, I think I was swearing in the office and that's not like me. And, you know, uh, she could see I was getting agitated. So she took me to a room, asked me if I was okay. And it all just came out. Not that I've been suicidal, but, you know, I can't do it anymore. I can't do this. I was crying. Um, and, you know, so she sent me home. Um, I'm curious, like, how was her reaction? And I guess when I, my question that I'm getting at is if, and I don't want to say culturally, but that's the only word that comes yeah. out. But like if culturally talking about a person's mental health is not normal or it's not something mm -hmm. you talk about, like, can people, like, do people even know how to react? Like, do people even know how to be like, Hey, like, you know, put an arm around your shoulder and be like, I understand, like, and talk to you as if they know just you're, you're yeah. speaking the same language or is mental health and these things, are they so kind of, non-standard that people even get uncomfortable like talking about it i'm curious yeah um you get the full range um i can tell i think i can tell when someone's been through mental health issues themselves when i'm talking to them they don't have to tell me but you kind of know because they understand um other people are um everyone's you know. gone through it i hate to break it to you everyone does i mean it's well, just a word mental health yeah mental yeah. health is just a word created to like categorize something right and there might be a stigma around it but like mental health just means like you know your brain your mind your life experience 
You think everyone just walks around with a stupid mm. friggin' smile on their face? No, everyone goes to the same crap. You know what I mean? Everyone has physical health. Everyone has mental health. Yeah. Um, but what I'm talking about is you can tell when someone's gone through mental health issues. Mm. You know, there's a difference between having mental health issues and just having mental health. We all have mental health. Um, so, you know, you, there's those people. There's people who are just quite open and they're inquisitive, um, which is great. And there's people that struggle with it and find it hard to talk to you about it. Mm -hmm. It makes them uncomfortable, you know. Uh, my boss was fantastic. I can't really remember what she was like at that time. Mm -hmm. A lot of those days are just a blur to me, really. And how many know. years ago was this? When was uh, this? So this was a year, a year in January this year. So it's about a year and a half ago. So she sent you home, and then you said you actually had like a second, you know, you had a second wave. Or yeah. what, what I, I told her, I, I told her I'd take a couple of days off, and I'd be back in work in a couple of days. <laughs> okay. I was back for about seven months. Um. You took seven months off of work. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, the next, the next. Suicidal episode came about a week after that. Um, so I'd been to the doctor, I'd opened up to the doctor, I'd spoken to my wife, and I'd been open to them both about the suicidal episodes that I'd had and thought. How was your relationship with your kids during this time? Were you talking to your kids at all? Were they concerned? Did they talk to you? Um, they, so one of the things that I was good at, and one of the things that was one of my downfalls was that I was very good at hiding it um which you know takes strength in itself because you've got to put this mask on all of a sudden and and act normal and try and be happy and um, when that's not actually how you're feeling um so i wasn't able i got to a point where i couldn't do that at home with the kids um but for them at that stage you know i wasn't in a place to talk to them my wife would talk to them but not not in detail about what was going on. They were just curious as to why dad's not at work. You know, why is dad staying at home every day? And what were you doing during those like seven months? Were you just like literally vegging out on the couch or were you doing like something? Um, for the first, yeah, for the first month, you know, I didn't get changed. Um, you know, it gets to the point where you don't, I wasn't eating. Uh, unless I, unless unless food was put in front of me, I wouldn't eat. I wouldn't drink. You know, you don't brush your teeth. You don't get washed. Um, you don't do anything. Um, it's horrendous. Um, but I had this other episode, um, and that was a bad one. Um, I I didn't have an off switch with that one. Mm -hmm. The off switch was my family, my wife and my kids. But that second one, I didn't have an off switch. Um, but I was lucky that my wife had spotted how I was and took the day off work um, and stayed at home with me. Um, you know, who knows what might have happened. So and there was I, a specific, I, there was a specific yeah. day when you were just like worse than usual. I just can't. Yeah, I can't. I, you just can't do it anymore. Um, anything, the whole thing, it's, you know, checking out. Um, and it was nothing, horrendous. Uh -huh. Yeah, 
No, there was no... Nothing can improve that. your move. Nothing like, no music, no movie, no book, no walk to the park, nothing. You're, you're not even in a nothing can improve your mood situation. This situation is, I cannot go on anymore. Mm -hmm. But this isn't, oh, I want to feel happy, or let's just get you outside. This is, you know, this is end of the line. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so... So she... Yeah, she stayed home. She, you know, and bless her, you know, I can remember her being in tears herself because how scary would that be for your partner to see you going through that or, you know, your spouse? Um, but she's amazing. She um, never put any, she never kind of like put any pressure on you when like during that month when you were just like not doing anything to kind of be like, hey, Dave, like time to go. Let's go. Let's get up. Let's take a shower. Let's go for a yeah. run. Really? absolutely yeah. not she knew you know she helped me with um i had a plan a daily plan today you're going to brush your teeth today you're going to have a wash today you're going to eat and that wow. was as basic as my plan if i could achieve those things wow that's something to celebrate well that's already good out for me you know she mm -hmm. encouraged me. she won't beat me up if i didn't do them she kind of knew when to push me and when not to um, but this episode, she was on the phone to the, to the, um, you know, to the doctors, to all sorts. And it got to the point where it was like just getting down to A&E, um, the accident and emergency room. Um, and yeah, she dragged me down to the hospital. I think my mom had the kids. I can't remember. Um, and she, you know, got me down to hospital and I, and I got to speak to the specialists, although I didn't really speak to them because I was just you know, in a mess. Um, mm -hmm. Do you remember the day? Um, do you remember the day when it was like the first little ray of sunshine? Like when you realize like, oh, you know, this could actually change, you know, like. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Um, it was, I can't remember what day of the week it was, but I'd started counseling. So I'd started seeing the psychotherapist. Um and you know that was that was a big step for me to do that in the first place to start opening up to someone to start talking to someone um and you know i remember after the first few sessions <clears throat> my wife and my mum would say to me is this right is this working because it would wipe me out for days <clears throat> you know i'd get home and i'd just go to bed um because it was that exhausting going through it mm -hmm. but i knew it was good because I was getting, I was able to speak about how I felt for the first time. For the first and, time. Yeah. Yeah. And such a weight, that lift that comes off your shoulders. Um, but it was hard and it wore me out. Um, but anyway, so I'd been, it was maybe three months into this. I'm not sure. Um, and I've been to a session. My wife was at work. The kids were at school. Um, and I'd come home. And I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do. Um, I'm going to do a bit of artwork here, and I'm going to put put a bit of music on. Amazing! Yeah, there you go. And my wife came home to music on in the house. He sat on the couch doing some art, and she just burst out crying. <laughs> and uh, you know that wasn't the. I feel amazing. I can see life in color again at that stage. 
Um, but it was certainly, you know, I could entertain the thought of putting music on and actually listening Listen, to it. Her seeing that is probably better than the things that she would imagine when she would be coming home from work, right? Yeah. Because I'm sure she imagined seeing some worse shit than that, right? Yeah. So I'm Absolutely. sure those are tears of joy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd been through that with, you know, not answering my phone or not having my phone on me and my mum being in tears thinking I'd done something, you know, mm -hmm. trying to get over my wife. Where's Dave? You know, we can't, I've, I've tried ringing him. I've texted him. He's not answering, you know, and that feels bad. You feel bad for that. Putting yeah. people, you know, loved ones that you, you, um, you know, you don't want them to hurt because of you. So step by step, you started talking to this counselor. And I mean, tell me about kind of your road to how you brought yourself back to then how you transformed into a person who's now like life mission is to help other people that have gone through the same thing. Yeah. Um, like, tell me about so, the step by step thing, starting yeah, from so, putting on music and doing art. So, so the step to go into counseling was my third suicidal episode where I had, you sort of touched on this before, and it's quite textbook is I had convinced myself that it would be better for everyone else if I checked out. So at this time, I'd been to see my doctor. I was on medication. Um, my, my brother would text me every day. My best mate would text me every day. My mum would text me every day. We had, um, my wife called it the get well crew. Um, you know, I hadn't gone out and told everyone that this was, I didn't want anyone to know. But I had to tell some very close people. Um, and I thought that that was a drain on them having to check on me every day. So it'll be easier for them. They won't have to worry about this stuff. That time I mentioned there where I upset my mum because I didn't answer the phone and she's panicking, thinking I'd done something to myself. Um, you know, so I had convinced myself it would be better and easier for everyone if I wasn't around. I thought, my wife's amazing. She'll find someone else. I thought to myself, it's bizarre thinking about it now, but I convinced myself kids are, kids are strong, you know, kids are resilient, they'll get over it. Um, and that was the third one. Um, so, yeah, that was, uh, that was quite bizarre. But anyway, so I ended up going, starting my counselling. Best thing in the world, you know, hardest thing in the world to do, but that's the number one bit of advice I give to anyone is talk to someone about how you're feeling um so i gradually started getting better and better with the counseling um you know it was up and down but you know gradually getting better and better and whenever i got bad and had down days i was able to take confidence that i wasn't starting from ground zero again mm. i wasn't starting from the bottom you always start from a stronger position that makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, How often so were you one, meeting with your with the counselor? Was it every day? Or was it a couple a times a week? Once a week? Once a week. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's uh, money. That, does, that doesn't seem like a lot. No, you can't. You are uh, through the NHS here. Um, it took me over a year to get to see a counselor. One to wow. one. Um, and so even you then, you only get six. You had to wait a year to get help. Yeah, over a year. Um, and that's not the NHS's fault. That just it's the money's not there. They don't they don't put the money into the mental health side. 
yeah, the money's there. They're just not putting it in there. They yeah. have plenty of money. Well, the government do, yeah. <laughs> but they don't give it to the NHS. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it, so it took me over a year to get that. Um, so I had to pay for it myself. Um, so, you know, it all comes down to that, really. And I was lucky enough to be in a position where I could afford once a week. You know, some people can't even afford that. So what made you start appreciating and enjoying life? Like, what were the, tell me about, like, the road back. I mean, what was it? Um, yeah, it was, it wasn't, for me, it wasn't a, um, like, one day, boom, there you go. Oh, mm-hmm. life was amazing. It was very gradual. Um, and this was through the support I had with, um, you know, my wife, my close family, friends, uh, and even work. My boss was great. Um, so it was all small steps and gradual. Um, but the real sort of turnaround, the thing that gave me some passion back, uh, something I was passionate about, was with my blog website. Um, so how that came about was my counselor, my psychotherapist had talked to me about writing stuff down, mm-hmm. write down how I'm feeling. You know, there are studies that have proven that the process of writing stuff down helps you process it internally and get things out. Um, you know, she said, you know, write letters to people. You don't have to send them, but write letters. You can screw them up, throw them in the bin, set them on fire, do whatever you want, but just the process of getting them down on paper helps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I started doing this, um, you know, and I've still got the book now. I've got my own little journal. And I still, I still look back on it to see, wow, you know, the place I was in, the drawings I drew, you know. Um, so I started writing lots of stuff down. And one of the other things that really helped me in my recovery was uh, my brother. Uh, he used to send me videos of celebrities that have gone through mental health issues and you know giving their story and all of a sudden i wasn't alone it was like this well, I mean, person tyson, tyson yeah. fury is the main guy right out of england oh, yeah. heavyweight Absolutely. champion of the world yeah he was he was one um footballers uh, about soccer players for you um you know and that was huge because not just was this another person that was going through what I was doing. A lot of the things they were saying were word for word, things that I'd said to my wife that morning. I used to show her a video and go, listen to this. And it was almost word for word, something that I'd described to her. Yeah. Um, and that sense of me not being on my own and not being strange or crazy or odd, it, it, you know, that really helped me. So that was where the idea for the blog website came from. I've got loads of stuff written down here, and I feel comfortable um, about being public about how I am. Um, And if I can help one person feel better to understand that they're not on their own, that what they're – it's logical. If I felt like this way, then surely someone else does. So what would be, I mean, let's say somebody that doesn't know of your website just yet and just somebody that's like going through this, like what would be your message? Like what are the lessons learned? What's the step-by-step thing for how to get out of this like funk? Like what's your advice? Um, yeah, the, the first bit of advice is talk to somebody. Um, talk to somebody, 
not just will it make you feel better and it'll lift that sense of lift off your shoulders, this weight mm-hmm. that you've had on you all this time. Um, not only does that get lifted, but psychologically, like writing something down, saying it out loud is so different to saying it inside your head. And also, you know, um, you hear yourself say it. Uh huh. Yeah. You know, what's also interesting is sometimes when you say something, when you hear yourself say it, you could be like, what am I talking about? And you could realize yeah. you're wrong, you know, because you just say like, Absolutely. I don't love myself. I'm not smart. I'm not intelligent. I'm not handsome. And then you just hear that. And you're like, yeah. what the hell are you talking about? Stop being silly, you know? Exactly. Okay. So By first, airing, you take you take the power away from it. Yep. It loses its power. Um, and the other thing is people want to help you. You can't do it on your own. Yeah. And you don't need to do it on your own. You know, there are free phone lines you can ring. You know, you've got if you haven't got someone you feel you can speak to, um, you know, you can ring people. There's people who want to speak to you, who want to help you. And you'll be amazed at the amount of people that want to help you once you are open about how you feel. Once you're vulnerable, and it yeah. just yeah, it snowballs from there. That is the most important thing you can do is talk to someone. What about? I mean, you know, what about the micro routines? Like, what did did you change anything in your day to day routine? Did you decide to okay, yeah. I'm going to start doing music. I'm going to start doing art. I'm going to get in shape. Like, what yeah. what were the main changes that you you made that turned you? Because I mean, now look at you. You're you know, you're looking good. You're on top of your stuff. You got a huge blog. You got people following you. You're giving people great advice. So, how did you build yeah. yourself? How did you build yourself up into the person that you are now? Um, it starts with a routine. You know, you need routine. Um, you know, you could say as humans we crave routine anyway. Um, but the thing about setting a routine when you are depressed is I touched on it earlier about having that loss of control. There's that loss of, um, you know, of things being done to you. You can't control any of it. Well, if you set yourself a routine, you can control what you are going to do and when you're going to do it during the day. So set yourself a routine. Mine was very basic at the start. As I said, it was brush your teeth, have a wash, eat some food. You know, and if I could achieve those things in one day, wow, what a day. And it builds from there. You know, it would for one day, the only thing I had to achieve that day, once I got those basics back in, eating, washing, uh, um, drinking, once I got them back in, it would be, you know, speak to the doctor uh, or have my work call. I would speak to my boss once a week, you know, and that would be the only thing I had to do that day and the sense of achievement. And, you know, it, I can think back at it now. Once I'd done that, it was in the morning. That wiped me out. I'd be done for the whole day bizarre but the more you bring that routine in you can then build on it and again that snowballs so once you're okay doing these next few things and they become routine for you again add to it try and do something each day then that brings you joy there you go there it is yeah yeah um and you know bring joy into your life by doing the things that bring you joy but in order to figure out you know, in order to do that, you have to figure out what you like. What are those yeah. things that bring you joy? And a lot of people, unfortunately, even kids, like, you know, you're programmed to go to school, you're programmed to get a job. You're not programmed to ask yourself what brings you joy and find time for those things that bring you joy, you know? Yeah, exactly. And um, going outside, go outside, 
You know, what a difference that makes to you. You know, we got a dog. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, that got me outside because it got me walking the dog. I might only go up the street, but then the next minute I'm walking around the block. I developed social anxiety. I didn't. I couldn't answer the front door because I was staying in so much. Oh, wow. You know, I would hide behind the, the front room door so someone, they couldn't see me through the window, they couldn't see me through the glass from the front door in the hallway, and I'd just wait for them to go. You know? Can't imagine that. Seeing, I no. mean, knowing you now, I mean, I can't, that's so yeah. mind-boggling, you know? Like dark, yeah. dark, it's like day and night. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that would get me outside because I'd go on walks with it and eventually the walks would become longer and, you know, it's small steps and you build on them. Um, I've changed as a person now. I'm, I, you know, say, yeah, I'm the same person, but I'm a different, totally different person to what I was before this happened. And that's sort of shown in, you talk there about, um, you know, what your values, what things bring you joy. You know, I'm still not back playing the guitar. I've tried it. I've kind of enjoyed it when I've done it, but it doesn't spark that, you know, that it used to. Um, have you thought about, have you thought about literally like, you know, finding a place either in a park on a nice day, invite like 10 of your friends, 15 friends, invite your kids, do a picnic, bring out, take out your goddamn guitar and just sing some music for people mm -hmm. and have other people also sing together. Just like do a little, it doesn't have to be a formal thing. Yeah. Just like bring it out and then see. I know, I guarantee you, I promise you this, like you'll see the way that people are reacting yeah. and the smiles that they're going to have on their face. And that's going to give you that hit of dopamine and that like the joy, mm. the joy, whatever chemical. And you're going to be like, wow, like this is this is so much easier than I thought. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because I see the guitar. Behind yeah. Yeah. But I don't I don't beat myself up about not doing it anymore. I was almost forcing myself to do it and I wasn't enjoying it. Mm. And then, we'll, oh, well, I have to. You know, that's what I do, so I have to do that. Um, but I am now finding passion in other things, such as, you know, and this sounds really cheesy every time I say it, I've got to get over this. Um, you know, one of my needs now is to help people. Nothing cheesy about you know? that whatsoever. It's actually noble, and that's what we should be doing. Yeah, but if I'm not doing that now, you know, uh, it it will affect me. Um, one of my other needs now is to learn. Um, you know, I've been doing lots of courses and stuff around, you know, uh, to help me out with the, 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 the route that I want to go down. A lot of it is mindfulness, um, life coaching. Um, I'm doing a psychology diploma now uh, online. Um you know, all I need to be learning each day. I need to spend a little time each day learning, and that gives me a buzz. So whereas I used to work in the day and then in the evenings, I would fill my time with playing guitar or, you know, doing some artwork or whatever. Now it's um, expanding my knowledge, learning things, helping people. So it's not that I'm not doing anything because I'm not playing guitar anymore. I've filled that gap with something different, that works for me that fits to my values and this is one of the exercises that i go through with my um clients with people i know i said the other day to my kids i said promise me when you get to the point of choosing your career sit down with me and i will i will help you and i will guide you through that process you know i get people to pick their values top five values what are the things that mean the most to you in life out of this list
And unless your activities are aligned with those values, then you're going to hit problems. Yep, for sure. Um, and, and that's what I live by now. Every activity that I do has to align with my values. Um, another huge tool that I use is meditation. Um, I use meditation. I meditate every day. You know, mm -hmm. And that really helped me out when I was in the depths um, of the depression. As I started to get better, I used meditation. Um, and again, for me at the time, that was meditation. That's a weird thing that people do that go, I'll climb up a mountain and it's all, oh, you know, and it's not. You know, you know I used to think about it, it was just getting out of your mind and going to trans transcendental place. No, it's not. Or, or you could just say it's, it's, it's just being still and not doing anything. Exactly. It's just, you know. It's bringing yourself back in. It's centering yourself. Yeah. It's being aware of your thoughts and no actions. Just think, breathe, yeah. and be be with yourself. Like if you can't do that, then you know. Exactly, good luck. and that's where the mindfulness comes into it for me. And a lot about that mindfulness for me is we talked about the shift in mindset. Mindfulness has been so important for me because I've spent so many years at training my thought process to be negative, mm -hmm. to beat myself up to tell myself that this has happened, therefore it's my fault. Um, and, you know, the great news for people is that if you are like that, that's a learned behavior. And what is learned can be unlearned. And you can learn a better way to do that. Um, and that's where mindfulness comes in for me, about changing my thought processes to be more resilient. Mm -hmm. What that throws at you, you know? So um, tell me about now, like you know, what you're working on, your online courses, um, how that's been going, um, and how can people find you online? Yeah. Um, so it's all stemmed from the blog. Um, so the blog is very much around mental health. Um, a lot of the blogs that I do are around um, depression and anxiety, Um about positiveness, um, but I do have some guest bloggers on there that talk about their issues as well. Mm -hmm. um, I've got a guy called Dan Tandy who does some blogs on it, and he's got OCD um, and and some other conditions. So there's there's a real um, there's a real uh, rounded um, you know categories of, of of blogs on there that really do help people. Mm -hmm. um, so that's Huckleberry Grove, hucklebergrove.com. And the sort of what feels for me as the next stage for me, as I said, with the stuff that I've been learning, life coaching, mindfulness, and all that sort of stuff, I've almost, I can identify the things that affected me as a parent. Mm. So we talked about a lot of that before. And a lot of my issues were around parent guilt. Um, and parent guilt's not something really that's that commonly known or it you know as soon as you start describing it to a parent that is struggling they go that's me you know that's exactly what i'm like that's exactly what i've got at the moment um give a couple examples oh so yeah parent guilt is 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 doesn't matter what you do 
it's never good enough and you beat yourself up for that. You believe your kids deserve better than what it is that you can provide for them and what you do provide for them. So no matter what you do, it's not good enough. It's never good enough. Most of problems that stem from that line of thinking, um, you know, self-esteem issues, depression, anxiety, all sorts of stuff. Um, so if you can, you know, one of my biggest bugbears with mental health, and this is me, I'm guilty of this. You know, you touched on it earlier when you said we've all got mental health. Is that people, issues? Yeah. Yeah, people don't act on their mental health, look after their mental health a lot of the time until crisis point. Yeah. Um, you know. And, and that bugs me, and it, it's true. You know, I'm guilty of it, of other things. You know, when I played football or soccer, you know, I remember getting an injury, and I'd mm -hmm. go to the physio, and the physio would give me exercises to do, and, uh, you know, I'd go home, and I'd start doing them, and it'd start feeling a bit better, and then I'd stop doing the exercises because I started feeling a bit better, mm -hmm. and then I'd get the injury again, and I'd go and see the physio, and the physio would say, you've been doing your exercises, Dave, and I'd say, no. Well, why did you? Well, I felt better, and it's like that with mental health. When you start feeling better, or you don't feel bad at all, you don't think you need to do anything about mm -hmm. mental health, and that's where the issues start. So everyone should be doing things to look after their mental health. Um, you know, a case of prevention is better than the cure. Why wait till you hit crisis point to then start making changes? Why not look after your mental health all the time? it's possible to do that um so the i've got a new course that i'm starting up now called the parent story project mm -hmm. um, and it's called the parent story project because when i when i um help people when i talk to people it's always important to get that story across my story um so it's a case of for you as a parent what is your story going to be you know, well, how do you write um, your narrative? Yeah. How do you reflect absolutely. on? Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we're that's what I created our app for, you know, because we yeah. give you a place where, you know, that that's that's what we're doing is yeah. we give you the prompts. We categorize all different aspects of your life experience, starting from your childhood, your relationship to your parents, your high school, your college, your child, your interests, movies, books, everything. Mm -hmm. And um, and you can journal about that. You can upload photos. You can upload videos. So it's yeah. useful for it's useful for you as a parent because you'll get to know yourself better. But yeah. even more importantly, you're going to be able to share that with your kid. Right. So okay. you're not journaling for yourself. You're journaling it because you want to share it with your child eventually for them yeah. to better understand who their parents were, who their father was. Fantastic. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's why I mean, I'm, yeah, it's yeah. super important. And it is important. And, you know, if you as a parent, if you go online and press Google, and do you know parents or parenting or something like that uh, you know the main source of advice you can get is around parenting tips you yeah know, how to how to cope when your child is doing this or what to do in the terrible twos or what to do when they're a teenager but there's there's not much advice and help out there for the parent themselves for them as the parent so not how to be a parent, but for them themselves to look after themselves. You know, if if all these parenting books that you get become before you become a parent, we're talking about mindfulness and things you can do to look after your mental health 
and oh, yeah. warning signs around mental health and you know this sort of stuff how to look after yourself um, how to ensure that it's not everything about the children you need time for yourself you need to look after yourself there's a great analogy that I use um, around when you get on a plane and the air stewardess does the safety thing at the start you know when she talks about the oxygen masks coming down or a life jacket they say put yours on first before you help your kids because you're no use to that child if yours isn't sorted Yep. And this is the same message I give to the parents. You've got to look after yourself. It can't all be about the kids because as I learned the hard way, I'm no use to those kids if I've, if I've got depression, serious mental health issues, or if, heaven forbid, I did something to myself. You're no yep. use to them. So you've got to ensure you take time for yourself. And you might feel guilty about that then, you know? I felt I wouldn't I couldn't take time out go go spend the weekend with my friends or do this because that money I felt should have been spent on the family. So that's where parent guilt comes in. I'm guilty about spending money on myself. I'm guilty about spending time on myself. Yeah. I should be spending it with the family. But that helps not out there for parents. That advice isn't out there really. And that's what this course is about. Definitely. I don't want to be in the same position I was in. Mm -hmm. Of course. You're so, I mean, you're spot on. I'm just thinking there's so much that we could talk about also for kids. Mm. Um, things that you want to pass down to your kids. Life yeah. lessons, kind of all this stuff. Um, you know what I think we should do? Because I'm literally, I have like my team like writing me and stuff. <laughs> I'm supposed to have a call at 4.30. It's 20 to 10 here. Yeah, I know. Hold on one second. Hold on. Let me just let me write these guys and I'll edit this all out. Um, okay. I'm still uh, recording. I could be talking for hours, but we have been, haven't we? What's that? So it feels like we could talk for hours, you and me. I know, I know. I like it. I like it. Um, what should we still, what should we touch upon as well? Um, <laughs> lessons learned, talk, be vulnerable. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm having like a brain fart because we've like gone through so much. Yeah, um, I'm just trying to think some of the things you, you know. Well, uh, advice, advice for other parents. We have touched on that, I guess. Yeah, um, I mean, let let's talk. I mean, so the coursework, like I saw that you have like seminars, you have courses, so you're basically like starting, you're starting kind of a new career, a new kind of passion about being kind of a coach or a mentor for other parents. Um, mm. And what's your goal with this? Like you want to, I mean, ideally th th this is what you want to do, right? I mean, this for you is probably more interesting than an office job. Um, it definitely uh, seems like it's more fulfilling. And I definitely feel like this is, you know, something that your life has kind of forced you to have to understand. 
Mm-hmm. And I think it's super noble and important that you want to help other parents as well, because you don't know how many people are going through it, especially if people don't talk about it. Yeah. Um, so I think it's amazing what you're doing. Um, you. you know. Mm. But it goes back to, again, you know, I, I almost need a different phrase for this because I've said this before and it's not the right phrase, but from a selfish perspective, this this need of mine now to help other people, you know, we always say we don't do anything. Everyone does something for a reason. Well, that's my reason for doing it. I have this a need to be sharing my experience and helping people. Um, so well, that, that's where it comes from. Um, and if I can do that full time, then yeah, you know, I mean, for editing, for this, I have to be careful about what I'm saying because I still have the day job at the moment. So, <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, look. Um, I think let's. I think today, like we, we could probably like. Yeah. Like, just because I think yeah. I mean we've been talking for almost two hours and we have a lot. Um, mm. I'll listen to it. I'll send it to yeah. you, and then we could have like a. I mean, listen, we could do like, you know, regular calls where me and you just chat about like what you've yeah. learned, what I've learned. Um, I think it's an interesting platform, and plus, like you're literally living it and you're reading it. Plus, I've read a lot of these books. Yeah. Um, Carol Dweck, you probably read Mindset, right? All oh, right, yeah. Jordan Peterson, you've heard of as well, probably, yeah. right? Yeah. So, yeah, let's um, let let's think about an interesting format where we could literally have like calls like once every couple of weeks and just be like, hey, yeah. these are the things that I've learned. These these are the parents that I've talked to. Mm-hmm. I can talk about my stuff as well. Yeah. yeah. Sounds good. Cool. Sounds good. Yeah. I've enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, I appreciate you. Uh, I know it's probably not easy talking about all that stuff, but I appreciate you being honest about it. You know. Yeah. Well, it gets easier the more you do it. Um, yeah. And there's nothing wrong with it. And that's the thing is like we have a stigma. Like, oh my god, yeah. like this this normal man. Like people, you're. I mean, you know, I don't want to. I'm not. Like, there's a lot more people more messed up than us. You know what I mean? Like, there's a lot of people that do a lot of fucked up things. You know what I mean? Like. Yeah. They do, they drink more, they beat their fucking wives, they beat their kids, they, I mean, this, you know, you're doing a hell of a job, you know what I mean? You shouldn't be so hard on yourself and, um, you know. Um, so. Ultimately, the way, I, the way I get around it when I start doubting or thinking, or oh, it's hard to say things and hard to discuss certain subjects, is I just go back to, I'm, I can't tell other people to talk about how they feel because it's good for them if I won't do it myself. Of course. You know, and yeah. if, if by me doing it, it helps one person um, open up about how they're feeling, which could save a life. Which yeah. could save a family, yeah. which could save their kids' lives and then their grandkids' lives because it's all generational stuff, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. your, karmic, your karmic actions or whatever you do is going to influence their life, right? If your exactly. parent committed suicide, first of all, that's always going to be, I mean, you know, yeah. I know, so I know lost survivors. Like I have friends, mm. you know, it's not easy. And no. those things change your life. So, and they don't, they don't only really change your life. They change the lives of the people that you affect and yeah. your kids and everything else. So if you always keep that in mind, like, you know, you are the head mm. of the household. It is your responsibility. Yeah. Like you're responsible. You're responsible for your grandkids and your great grandkids. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the things that you instill in your children and the example that you set, um and their mindset's gonna ripple on and you know who yeah. knows what that's gonna end up turning into in you know in the world right yeah. it's all potential because mm. so, i guess what we didn't talk about as well is we got onto it a little bit but how 
how open I am with my kids now about my situation, mm -hmm. you know, and how we've addressed that with them. Have you talked to them about kind of yeah. your, yeah? And it's have kind of a thing when people ask us, people say, oh, what have you told the kids? And we say, you know, I've told them. They kind of go, oh, yeah, you know. Um, but our, our viewpoint is that we, we want our kids to talk to us. We want, we want to be open. We don't, we don't want to add to a stigma around this stuff. You know, well, I'm, doing you all, don't want... I'm doing all this work to get rid of the stigma around it. So I don't want to make an issue about it. And my kids think, oh shit, there's something he's not talking about here. We've only recently addressed the suicide stuff with them. And um, we all, I always talked about it of me just wanting to go away. So we talked about the depression and the anxiety and stuff like that. Um, but that side of it was always just, you know, me not wanting to be here. Um, but we talked about it with them last week. Um, the more open I am and the more it's out there in the public domain, you know, I, I wouldn't want someone to say it to my kids and it become a surprise to them. You know, I want us to be completely open and honest about it so that if anyone did say, because I worry about them going to school and, you know, kids can be little fuckers, can't they? You know, kids can be horrible. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, what if someone was to start trying to bully my kids because of me being open about what I'm going through? Um, so, you know, my, my viewpoint and my wife shares this viewpoint is that if we're open and honest with them, then if someone does say this stuff to them and try and, oh, your dad's this, your dad's that, it'll be like water off a duck's back because they'll be like, yeah, yep. I know that. It's, you know, that's a not, I want it to be normal. I want us to be able to talk about this stuff. And plus you're showing them, your son and your daughter, an example that you should be talking about it, right? So they don't repeat the yeah. same mistakes of living 30 something years and not talking to anybody, including you guys which exactly. should be the first people that they talk to if they have any sort of issues. So you're setting the example yeah. by doing the difficult thing and saying, look, I am an open book. I am vulnerable, but I want you to be too. Yeah. 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 And, and to get rid of the stigmas that I attach to myself with them as well, you know, it takes strength to talk about it. You're not weak. You are strong in doing it. And by showing them that they will, that will become their beliefs. Yeah. You know? Um, anyway, we were going to pack up, weren't we? <laughs> we were, but yeah, I mean, you're touching on good things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, how about in the next conversation, we focus on other things that we try to instill in our kids? Yeah. Right? Life lessons, things that you've learned, um, and how you see that that's either working or not working, you know, because yeah. that's super interesting as well. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. All right. We're wrapping up the first conversation, the first of many. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's good to see you. You and, too. Um, we'll talk soon. Yeah, I look forward to it. All right. Thanks, Dave. Have a good day, bro. Take care, brother. Bye. Our lives are not linear. What we remember is not defined by time, but by experience. We remember the emotions and people surrounding specific moments and live time as one continuous day that is the experience of our lives. One of the most important, meaningful, and challenging experiences we face is being and becoming parents. These are conversations about moments in our lives 
what they have taught us, and the questions we all face about how to live in the world.